disciples. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down and eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourselves, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He has not thanked the slave because he did things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the privilege of coming together for the purpose of being in your word and to hear from you. We ask for your wisdom in this time that you be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, any, any thoughts before I start to get into my notes here? Any thoughts with just from the, the reading, the ten verses? Yes. Okay, thank you. Any other thoughts? Jeff is itching to say something, but I can see he's holding himself back. I'm waiting just so I can criticize that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, in, in looking at these 10 verses, I, I thought of John 15, 12 and 13, where Jesus is saying, that, and it's a, it, it's, a, you know, it's a familiar chapter to us because of the, the branches and the vine and all of that. And, uh, but I think, we get hung up in the first five verses, which are tremendous verses to, to get hung up on. But as you go on and you read through the rest of the chapter, I think he begins to describe just what the fruit is that is the result of abiding in Christ. So in verse 12, we see, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And you know, here, I think what we're seeing is that we are to love one another, and the love is, is a, it's, a, it's a sacrificial love. It's a costly love for one another. And then back in our passage here, I think we're starting to see this. The first, 
thing I see in verses 1 to 4 is that the disciple of Christ should not be a, the source of stumbling for another. In verse 1, we find the word through, and that means on account of or because of. So we don't want to be the means of, one, of, of another stumbling. And then again, in verse 2, the word cause, to put a snare in the way of, uh, to, uh, to add to the circumstances that contribute to another's behavior that would, would cause them to fall. And then also, just like the observation we've already had, the little ones. It's not only children, though it does include children. Also, uh, it refers to young believers, uh, not mature believers. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Something that Charlie covered. in his series through Matthew. But we're going to start in just uh, in verse 1 of chapter 18. We'll read through uh, verse 7. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child... He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who, be, who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the deep, deep depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. So it, it, in that passage, we see that Jesus is, is, is telling us that it, not just children, but also those who, you know, the, the believer, the young believer. And I think it's interesting also there in that text that those who cause stumbling are actually in league with the world. And again, we know that John tells us that all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, both pride of life, is not, is not of the Lord. And so if we become the cause of another stumbling, then we are in league with the world. But then also, with regards to children, the, the little ones, we know from the context, you know, this passage here is part of the context that begins in chapter 15, uh, now all the tax collectors and the sinners, so the children would be included with this. How many of you remember the name um, Stuart Hamblin? Or, yeah, yeah, Hamblin. Anybody? Okay, yeah, some of you remember. He was country western singer, kind of in the same lane as um, uh, Roy Rogers. That probably confuses some of you too. Uh, but anyway, he was also a movie star, and uh, he uh, was born in Texas, grew up in Texas. He was the son of a, of a pastor and evangelist, and uh, he ended up, you know, through a series of events, he ended up in California, and then ended up meeting Billy Graham. And in their conversation, uh, he said, he just couldn't take it anymore. He, he, didn't, he had a radio show at the time, and he, um, uh, he invited Billy to come uh, onto the, on the show. The way he met Billy was at a Bible study, 
And he invited them to come on the show and then he, to advertise the tent meeting that they were having there in, in California. And then after the, the interview, he said on the radio, now make sure you're there because I'll be there. And uh, then the first day of the meeting started and he got ready for bed. And his wife was a little put out with him because of what he had said on the air. So she got dressed to go and walked into the room, looked at him and said, uh, you ready to go? And he said, where? And she said, you don't want to disappoint your fans. So he got dressed and he went and actually sat on the front row right in the middle uh, every night. And he said it was, he was under great conviction. He said it was driving him crazy. And finally, he did make the decision to entrust his life to Christ. Now, this is something that he said. My greatest stumbling block has not been my old cronies out in the world, but the skeptical Christians waiting and watching for me to stumble. Nothing in the world is more beautiful than a new Christian before he has gotten around some old Christians. <laughs> you know, that's, um, you know, when we look at that in the context of what we're talking about here, it's kind of sobering. You know, just uh, how, are we, how, how are we living before others, and in particular here, new believers? What do they see as they enter into this life that, uh, you know, that isn't true of Christ. And then I want us to, before I open it up for discussion, the, just the term stumbling blocks. Uh, it's an interesting study in this. It actually means a trap. Or even temptation. And looking at it, I found it interesting that it actually means a trap that involves a stick. And so the more I looked at it, it actually means something like this. Uh, it, it is a trap. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. I want to start in verse 10. We're going to read 10 to 13, but Romans 14. Beginning in... Verse 10, chapter 14, verse 10. But you, why do you judge or why do you condemn or punish? See, that's not our part, your brother. Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. God will take care of all of that. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of you will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us judge one another. Uh, I'm sorry. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. And then one other verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 32, Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. In my study for this, the preparations for it, um, I came across some comments by Charles Spurgeon that I thought were interesting. And in particular, he was talking about the cities of refuge. You know, the six cities that were, that were um, appointed to be cities that if someone had committed murder unintentionally, they could flee to, to escape um, punishment from a relative or, or retaliation from a relative until it could be uh, brought before a judge. 
And he said this about the cities of refuge, Charles Spurgeon. With regard to the roads to the city of refuge, we are told that they were strictly preserved. Every river was bridged, every obstruction removed, so that the man who fled might find an easy passage to the city. Once a year, the elders went along the roads and saw to their, to their order, so that nothing might impede the flight of anyone and cause him through delay to be overtaken and slain. How graciously do the promises of the gospel remove stumbling blocks from the way. Wherever there were byroads and turnings, there were fixed up handposts with the inscription upon them to the city of refuge. And, you know, I just really appreciated that thought that it, there was this constant maintenance of the roads to make sure there was no obstruction and where there would be direction needed, it was placed. Clearly that this is the city to refuge. And in the context of what we're talking about, not being a stumbling block, not being a hindrance to these young ones, to our brother, to our sister, in knowing Christ, knowing his forgiveness, knowing his, his truth, uh, was, was challenging to me. Any thoughts with this? Okay. And I think that the, there's a vulnerability there, right? Because it's this concern about like a brand new believer. What if they misbehave and they misrepresent the church? And like, and it really comes down to like, what if the Lord isn't faithful in their life? And like, right. how can I make sure that the Lord is faithful? And then once you word it like that, you're like, are you insane? Right. Like, are you right. just completely nuts? Yeah. But, yeah, they're gonna make Jesus look bad. But that's something that. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly yes. what it boils down to, because I think that as I grow in my relationship with the Lord and I understand how much I need Him, and then to see someone else, and then you think about, you're not really fully aware of, like, listen, I was in a way worse state than that person over there, right. but all you see is, like, the potential vulnerabilities, and and you see the need, and you, you have really just this study of an understanding that, like, sin is bad. Like, right. 
Okay. Anybody else? Thank you, Alan. Okay, my next point is that the disciple of Christ will not be a stumbling block by showing unwavering care and forgiveness for the brethren in verses 3 to 4. We have the phrase, be on guard. And the word guard means to be in a continuous state of readiness. And in doing so, we need to be ready for any kind of future danger or problem that may be approaching. So to, to be on guard, to be ready. And then, and also in verse 3, rebuke. And it means always for the good of the brother. I'm thinking of Matthew, let's see, 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. I used to teach a class on church discipline, and the, the, the ending always, you know, no matter where you go in Scripture that, that involves church discipline, it's always for the sake of the one being disciplined to, to know Christ, to return to, the, to Him, to abide in Him. It's always for His sake. I think so often... Uh, like you guys were alluding to, sometimes our discipline appears to be more for our sake than for, the, than for our brother's sake. Uh, it's, it's been my observation throughout the years that those churches that do um, practice church discipline, not all, not all, but what I have seen is that you know, we're quick to, you know, I'm thinking of one instance, a church that Arlene and I used to be a part of uh, years ago when we were newlyweds. You know, there was a couple that came forward and that um, she was pregnant out of wedlock. They were engaged, but they weren't married. And so the pastor really pressed hard that they uh, go before the church and confess this. And, you know, so they felt great pressure to do this, and so they did. And uh, the church was, you know, quick to, to show, a, you know, to, to stand and to show support for them, forgiveness of them. But then what I think is interesting is that's the end. That's it. That's all we have. That's all we do. And, you know, should we, should, should we not, you know, continue to walk with them, to show them our love, our, our concern, our care for them? Um, I've noticed also in the past, and, you know, church discipline is something that's really not seen that much anymore, so I think we've gone too far the other way. But, uh, you know, I can remember, you know, Another young uh, friend of mine who was, again, pregnant out of wedlock. And, uh, you know, her, her sin is confessed. And, uh, you know, th- then she's just left. You know, now you're pregnant. Now you deal with this. Well, is that what we do? You know, or should we not be walking with her in that? And just, just some thoughts with that. You know, the, the whole idea of rebuking is for the sake of that one that's being rebuked to return to right fellowship with the Lord. And uh, we don't need to be a stumbling block to that by not continuing to be plugged in. I, I remember uh, when we first started to attend this church uh, the first time, um, you know, they, this was to tell you how far back this was, we were out on the, uh, the highway in the log cabin. And... Um, it was one of the first Sundays. I remember Don, who was an elder then, you know, stood up in front of the congregation and just said, 
look, we have a brother here that's engaged in a lifestyle that's not consistent with Christ. There have been several members of the congregation to, to go to this, this brother to encourage him toward what's right, toward what's true. And he has continued to, uh, to, not, um, to, to not show any kind of remorse or repentance. So as the elders, we encourage the body here to have, to have nothing to do with him. It's time for us, and he said, to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And I remember sitting in the back going, wow. And I was in line in, in, the, uh, in the fish house the, uh, at, up at his hill, the, uh, the dining hall, uh, that, that evening. And one of the students came up to me and says, Kelly, what is this turning people over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh business? And I looked at him and I said, well, it's a quote from Scripture. And he says, it is? <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. But always, you know, again, for the sake of seeing them restored to right relationship. So we are to rebuke. But then, and I think rebuke, okay, all right, we can see that. You know, the, the brother's not walking right in Christ, needs to be rebuked. Okay, but how about forgive? In, his, in the verses 3 to 4, to forgive them. And, you know, at face value, you would go, oh, of course we want to forgive. But what it means here, to forgive means to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing, to pardon, to remove it. And the, actually in the, uh, in the New American Standard, like mine in the marginal notes, it says literally means you shall forgive. And in the Holman Christian Standard translation, it says you must forgive. Forgive them. There's nothing there. If they have repented, we forgive. And our forgiveness is not forgiveness unless it's true of God. So there can't be this attitude, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Not, that's, not, that's not the forgiveness of God. Because in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, he says, I will remember your sin no more. This is a forgiveness. It's not there. There's nothing there. I forgive you. I'm not holding anything against you. This is simply how the believer is to respond. So if the brother feels guilt, it is not to be because we are holding something against them. If they have repented, they need to be forgiven. And he goes on and builds on this. He says seven times. If he sins against you seven times that day, repent seven times, you forgive him seven times. And that denotes, the number seven denotes completeness. As often as it happens, forgive. Okay. Any thoughts with that? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go on with that. You know, this is, this is heavy. This is, if we're really honest about that, this is heavy. I think it's, it's there to confront us with what the Lord is there to provide, that he hasn't given us skill to perform. Mm-hmm. 
like this expectation is something that's there, and it is to make us aware of our constant need for Jesus. Like it, he, he doesn't make this a easy task. Like it is something that is impossible apart from Christ, and it's there to show us like what can you do apart from me? Yeah. Go ahead if you think you can do this. Yeah. I'm going to send some people your way. Kind of like the husband is supposed to lead and the wife is supposed to submit. You know, we give, the, we give the wife a hard time for that, but we don't really talk about the men that much, the husband. You know, I, you know, I wonder if part of it is because it's just not natural for us. You know, we need him for these things. Any other thoughts? That's certainly true of God. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's even true for us. So we have, and of course, if it were in our own strength, we'd fail. Um, so it's only as we recognize who Christ is and what he's done and how much he's forgiven us that we can begin to try to do this. Okay, well, since you guys have already taken us there, let's go into the next point. It, this, is, this is a tall order. So how can the disciple live by this? By faith, the disciple of Christ will not be a stumbling block by faith. And again, you know, you've heard me say this before. I think this is one of those words, faith, that we as believers, you know, if we're really honest, we're uncomfortable with. The believer's faith in the Lord is to be, this is to be our response and not our own desire are our own will. Our response to the brother is to be by faith, not what you know, not our own understanding. And in verse five, you know, he taught. They they ask, well, increase our faith. See, they see it right away. Oh my goodness, if this is what we have to, if this is how we have to live, then Lord, increase our faith. And you know, it's interesting, you know, that they're not saying increase our love. Increase our faith. But I appreciate what Warren Wiersbe says with this. He says, Our obedience in forgiving others shows that we are trusting God to take care of the consequences and handle the possible misunderstandings and work everything out for our, our good and His glory. It is, it is obedience, and it shows that we're trusting the Lord. Uh, I taught a class in Colorado, this, uh, one of the Torchbearer Centers on faith. And uh, Arlene and I were just back up at Timberline uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for a conference. And one of the then students, now summer staff volunteer, was eating lunch with us. And she looked at me. She says, Kelly, I was so angry with you this, this last year. And I looked at her and went, oh, great. You know, she's just this little thing. I think, what in the world have I done to make you so angry? And she says, you were teaching about faith, and it just made me so mad. And I thought, oh, okay. And she said, so, but, but she said, it sounded right, though, and I just didn't understand what am I missing? What am I missing? And uh, so the next week, Wayne Wiseman, who has preached here, uh, most of you know, uh, he was he was speaking the week after me, and she went up to him, and she said, Kelly was talking about faith, and I was just so upset with him. I feel like I'm missing something. 
And she said, it sounded right, but I'm missing something. And Wayne, yes, being Wayne, you know, making things, you know, really simple, he says, well, it simply means you're trusting Jesus and not you. And to her, that just, oh, oh, yeah, to trust him. And so when we see passages like this, you know, basically it comes down to this. Am I going to trust Jesus and obey? So by faith, the disciple of Christ will not be a stumbling block. The mustard seed in verse 6, if you had the faith of a mustard seed. Now, you know, there's all kinds of arguments over this, and apparently the, the, the mustard seed was the smallest seed of that region, but regardless of whether it was or wasn't, it's a very small seed, okay? And so I think Christ is emphasizing the, the strength of faith rather than the, the quantity of faith. And, and he says, with this faith, if you would say to that mulberry tree, be planted in the ocean. If you would say to that mulberry tree, what an interesting thing. This is nuts. You know, and I think what a great visual we have of it in the hill country right now with no rain. You know, what we're having to do just to keep what little bit we've got alive, you know, is, is quite strenuous. <laughs> you know, and, and then we see this, to throw a living bush into the ocean? Why would I do that? This doesn't make sense. It's... I. Sometimes, you know, when we read passages like this, we, we start to think that, okay, if I'm going to live by faith, it means to do absolutely insane, crazy things. So what's the most insane thing I can think of? Well, wait a minute. It all starts from this. Jesus says in 15, John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. What, the things that we do should be the result of what the Lord is working in our heart, His will. To, and, and only there will we see what He wants to do. Jesus was endeavoring to show His disciples that faith knows no impossibilities. Yes, ma'am. Wow. How is that possible? And you know, I had prayed about that for a long time and I let it go a lot. And the Lord, that's just one example. He was on so many things like that. And he's just faithful. He trusts that he'll provide it. He must wait mm. on his timing before it comes through. And I learned that waiting tells me it had nothing to do with me. It was him. And it was all just the well, trust in him. Okay. My grandson's four months old, uh, four years old, coming up to four years old, and he's enjoying this thing. And I, it brings me so much 
joy to see Watson's kids have the same joy that I had, and my brothers and sisters had on that same horse. <laughs> All because of the springs, yeah. <laughs> but it, again, my point is that, you know, this, the impossible is not so much our understanding of what is impossible. We don't decide this is impossible. Now I'm going to, now, now God do it. But it's simply a response to what he's working in our heart. What he's saying. Okay. Is that lots of times we don't wait. Yes. We jump in and do stuff, yes. and that's what causes the stumbling block, yeah. the obstacles. Yeah. If we waited on the Lord, and then I, I'm sort of like a broken record. I keep coming back to Psalm 25, but, um, you know, 4 and 5, make me know thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee, I wait mm-hmm. all the day. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I, I, it's a good application. On the 20th anniversary of Larry King Live, which was in 2005, <laughs> some of our young people don't even know who Larry King is, Barbara Walters interviewed him, and she asked him this question, what is your greatest fear? And he immediately, without hesitation, he answered, death. And so then she followed up that question with, do you believe in God? And his answer was, I'm not sure. I'm an agnostic. If we're uncertain about God, we we will surely be fearful of death. But also, if we're not sure about God, no faith, we will most assuredly be in the right place for causing others to stumble. Are we sure about Jesus? And so we go to the proper perspective of the disciple in verses 7 to 10. And, you know, these again are the verses where he points out the relationship between the slave and his master. And in verse 10, he sums it up, so, and he says, So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. The proper perspective of the disciple toward others is found in his proper perspective toward Christ. Who is the servant and who is the master in our relationship with the Lord. This helps me when I'm thinking through these verses here, 7 to 10, but also the whole passage, or the, the, the verses, yeah, 7 to 10, but also the whole passage, 1 to 10. Who's the master? Who's the servant? And the service toward the master. What is our service toward the master? In Romans 1, 1, Paul says, He is a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then in 1 Peter 2, 12, Peter says, Act as free men 
And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Who is the servant and who is the master? The proper perspective as a servant is found in verse 10. We're only doing that which we ought to be doing. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read some familiar verses to us. We're going to read verses 1 to 7, Philippians 2, verses 1 to 7. But uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, I want to highlight verses 5 and verse 7. So chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And I think that's the idea that's coming across here in approaching the brother, to view them as more important than me. And forgiving the brother to see them as more important than me. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Why have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. So verses 5 and 7 together, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Um, one of the former directors of His Hill, his name is Sonny Westbrook. And Sonny, if you ask anybody who knows Sonny, you'll find just unanimously all of us will say, that this man embodies verses 1 to 10 here that we're looking at. Sonny's impact outside of the classroom was greater than his impact in the classroom, and he's a great teacher. He was the one that I wanted to talk to when I had to make some pretty big decisions. And both as a student and then after leaving his hill as a student, I'd want to go to Sonny. I'd want to talk with him. His attitude toward me, as well as the whole student body, the rule keepers and the rule breakers, was the same. This man had the incredible ability to literally get in your face. And anybody that knows him knows what I'm talking about with that. He, he could get in your face, and you knew, and you felt that you had been rebuked, yet greatly loved. Bill Bushhouse tells a story one time when Bill was his assistant. They had a student in the office, and this student was spinning. I mean, he was trying to dig out of something, and Bill was telling me the story about his excuses for something he had done and trying to get out of it, and he kept, the, the tale got crazier and crazier. And Bill is sitting there thinking, this is ridiculous, and Sonny just simply leaned forward and in his baritone voice said, Brother, that stretches me. And that was all had to be said. 
And the student was just, oh my goodness, you know, it, it was, and I've experienced the same from him. As a result of his service to Christ, as a result of his service to Christ, verse 3, was demonstrated. To all of us in serving us, there was this rebuke. Then there was this forgiveness as a result of repentance. There was a firmness. There was no backing off, but a full uncovering of the sin with great love and insistence. And there was forgiveness. And many of us have greatly profited from that. I'm looking at Wayne back there who's just smiling at it because he, he served under Sonny. And he knows what I'm talking about. Any thoughts? I have a question. Yes, ma'am. And then he says, and he asks for forgiveness, and he repents. I wonder, should he be put right back in that leadership position? Well, I, I think first we have to know the specifics of, of what you would be talking about. But in general, I think it would be safe to say no. I think that forgiveness does not always involve uh, a complete you know, it doesn't mean, okay, great, now do what you want. Uh, but there, there needs to be, you know, Charlie and I have a good friend that has, has gone through the same thing, and it really grieves us that he was restored so quickly to the pulpit. And, uh, you know, well, because anybody else can say, I'm, I'm stumbling all over yeah, that, I, but yeah. So I wrote this down years ago when I was a student at McGill. I, I think it's from one of Charlie's classes, or it may have been yours, Kelly, I'm not sure, but forgiveness doesn't mean what happened is okay. It doesn't mean being a willing doormat. Forgiveness doesn't mean avoiding of disciplining, train so, training so they don't do it again, um, but disciplining not as revenge. Forgiveness doesn't mean a restoration to a position of trust necessarily, but forgiveness does mean they're regarded as debt free. And that has to be Charlie, not me. <laughs> wow. Um, but I think that's, that's the significance, right? Because in there we have a owning of the fact that sin has consequences. Mm -hmm. We may not like them, right? But I think this also goes back to we do not hold the skills and the merits of the individual as the qualification for why they're in a position in the church. Right. You can't say, well, they're really good at teaching, so that's why they must be there. Mm -hmm. But no, there are many other qualifications of, of an elder and a pastor, and, and those things I still think need to be adhered to. There can be a restoration, I think, over time, but that's very, very circumstantial depending on what else is going on. And there are qualifications you know, you know, for specifically for the pastor. And if sin has disqualified that person, forgiveness does not requalify, but it does restore. Forgiveness restores to right relationship. Yeah, Heather. Well, I wonder if you can 
what's best for that person and their frustration, not just of my relationship with them, but it would be best for them not to be put in a position again where they can take something from them right. in that same way. So you start thinking about what's best for that person. And for and, and for the others, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. sometimes mm -hmm. that would, that's probably not the best place to use it now. Yeah. Okay, you know what, it's time for us to, to go. I'm sorry, Todd. Todd had his hand up, but he's saying, let's get out of here. All right, so let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, for never leaving, for never forsaking. And when we see passages like this and we think, how in the world do I live this way? We find that you have gone and lived the very demand. And by faith in Jesus, the truth of what we're seeing becomes a reality. And so, Lord, we trust you. We thank you that we can say this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.